Did you know that right now there's a group of people running the business of their dreams? They are respected leaders in their field, working with clients they love and serving them profitably. Now, are they famous? Depends on who you ask. They're not signing autographs at the grocery store or taking selfies every five minutes. They're not trying to be everywhere on social media. Yet when they show up at trade events and conferences, they are recognized and sought after. They're the ones everyone else looks up to. They're the next generation of thought leaders in their space. So what's their secret? Well, they've become famously influential to the right people, and so can you. Today, we'll dig into the story of one of these leaders and deconstruct how they became micro-famous. You won't just come away inspired, you'll come away with a new strategy and a new way of thinking. So while your competition is scattered, chaotic, and chasing every shiny object, you can move forward with confidence and clarity. I'm your host, Matt Johnson, agency founder and author of Microfamous. And if you're ready to become famously influential to the right people, let's get started. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Microfamous Conversations. I have a really interesting conversation to share. And uh, if you're in the agency world, you will especially resonate with this. But I want you to pay close attention if you're not in the agency world, because I'm talking to Brad Ferris. He's the, the founder of Anchor Advisors, and he is a coach to agency owners. So if you're in the coaching consulting business, every bit of what we're about to talk about applies to you. It just so happens that Brad's clients are agency owners, right? And so uh, Brad has all the same problems that any other coaching consulting business has, which is, you know, how do you break down limiting beliefs? You know, how, what can you outsource versus what you can't? Um, how do you deliver better results to clients? How do you scale up your coaching practice so you're not doing everything? All those same things we're going to talk about. There's two really, really great techniques that Brad shares right at the top of the conversation on how he breaks down limiting beliefs, both at the prospect stage and in the kind of the new client phase of the relationship so that they are positioned to actually take and implement his advice and get the results that they want, right? Because you know, as a coach, that limiting beliefs are the things that trip people up from actually implementing most of the time. So we talk about that. We talk about why, you know, you really can't outsource the sales consultation. And there may be some exceptions to that, but I think a lot of coaches and consultants have found that out the hard way that you can outsource a lot of the sales process. You can outsource a lot of the marketing, but you can't outsource the moment when you're talking to the decision maker and they have the questions that they need to get answered in order to sign up. That most of the time has to be you or you got to have a really, really, really kick butt salesperson that, that has a really great level of knowledge and experience. And those are, those are tough to come by. So we talk about, well, how do you actually do that? Uh, I draw the comparison to, uh, you know, a lot of my friends and colleagues, the thing that they would love to outsource is the social media so that they don't actually have to be active. They just, you know, had do the consultations. They don't want to do the marketing, the active part of the marketing. And I feel the same way about that, that that's the last thing you should try to outsource. You should try to outsource everything having, having to do with the operations first and keep the sales and marketing for yourself. And then you can start to peel away certain parts of the sales and marketing process. And, and Brad kind of expounds on that. So we also talk about just how Brad has become micro famous in that agency advisor space, uh, why he emails his list three times a week, you know, the podcast that he hosts, all that fun stuff, just the tactics of how he spreads and builds his influence and why he shares his best stuff and doesn't hold anything back in his content, why he doesn't put content out too far in advance. That's a really good part of the conversation. And then we shift into masterminds and scaling up coaching practice because uh, Brad is coaching not only his clients, but also typically the next layer of management underneath them and putting everyone on KPIs and having his clients and their 
management layer underneath them show up to those KPI reporting meetings with him and his coaches that he's brought on so that the staff of his clients are having to report their key metrics in the presence of not only their superior, their manager, their whatever, but also of the coach that, that's, that's coaching the team to performance, right? So it's very, very powerful. And he's talking about how he's using these kind of structured masterminds to not only just scale up his coaching practice and kind of take the ceiling off of how big he can grow, but also to legitimately deliver better results and how that works. How do you actually structure a mastermind so it's not just a random exchange of scattered ideas, which a lot of masterminds can become. So there's so much that we talked about. I'm really excited to share this conversation. It, it's, it's so spot on and hits the mark with all the key problems that everyone in my world has. If you're an emerging thought leader and you want to coach, you want to consult, or you're already doing it and you want to scale up, this conversation will answer a lot of questions and give you a glimpse into some potential roads for you to go down to avoid a lot of the pitfalls and traps that get people stuck and, um, and kind of spinning their wheels at a certain stage in the business. So uh, again, this is Brad Ferris. He's the founder of Anchor Advisors. He is a coach to agency owners. He helps people get from 1 million to 5 million through peer learning and rapid feedback. So without further ado, let's bring in Brad. Brad, officially welcome to Microfamous Conversations. Well, thank you. I am super stoked for you to be here. We're going to have a blast. But uh, before we jump into the beliefs that we want to talk about, what do you tell people that you do? Because you're in a super interesting niche. <laughs> so I help agency owners get from a million in revenue to three to five million in revenue. And we do that through a combination of peer feedback. We, we use uh, mastermind groups to, to get additional voices in the room and voices in people's heads, one-on-one uh, -on -one consulting and, uh, and measurement and feedback. And so by putting all those things together, we've got a process that has help people to move through that leap. And I think, honestly, the, the leap from a million to two millions is the hardest leap in business because it really mm -hmm. requires you to change a lot of the things about what you do and what you believe about what you do. That's interesting. I, I, I've never heard it put quite like that, but I can't fight it either. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think every business is a little bit different, but yeah, in the agency world, um, a million, yeah, it's a pretty good pretty good benchmark because like we were talking about before we hit record, if you're, if you're that guy that hustles and, and you're getting the new contracts and you're, you know, running point on agency products, you know, doing the creative and stuff like that, like you can get to seven figures just yep. by hustling, right? Yep. That's okay. right. And, and at some point spinning all the plates, the limit to the plates you can spin is around for some people it's 800,000 for some people it's a million too, but it's, it's in that range there somewhere. You just run out of plate spinning. And how many people do they usually have on their team at that point? So a healthy agency, it does around $200,000 per employee. So mm -hmm. it's four or five employees is what it takes to get there. Mm -hmm. um, some people, it's more like 150000 and, you know, they're not running quite as efficiently. So they might get a little bit, they might have a couple more employees. But that's even more painful because now the margins are much tighter and the business owner's working hard and not, not taking home enough money to really right. feel good about that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So about 150 to 200 K per employee. So at a million, five employees, we're talking about full-time employees, yeah, right? That's okay. right. So, so it's not like they have a bunch of people reporting to them. In fact, that's, nope. that's one of the first things that you deal with is that they're still doing a lot of the tech stuff and they're closing the deals and they're expected to prospect, which for agency owners is not, not a lot of fun. Right. Um, so let's talk about that first thing, just that, like, how do you get somebody over the misbelief that 
they can still be in the tech stuff all day and grow their business. So when, when I talk to people, they tell me the story about how tired they are and about how their brain is going 150 different directions, right? Yeah, and, and that's the catalyst for them. Exactly, that's, that's why we're having this conversation, yeah. Um, the, the, they know that the sales role is a critical role and most of them aren't trying to get rid of that. If they are, that's a different conversation, but most of them know that they need to do the sales. But there's this... Uh, I want to say balance, but it's, it's an imbalance, right? The more time you put into sales, the more work you have, the more work you have, the more time you have to put in delivery. So then the less time you have to do sales. And so there's this up and down of, you know, constantly going back and forth between doing delivery and project management and doing prospecting and sales. And usually people are falling down on one or the other end of that spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And so that's the time when they come across you, how are they, how are they encountering you? You're like, what's your main thrust into the market? What's the main, the main point where people are kind of running across you and learning that someone like you exists? Yeah. Um, so Seth Godin talks about how experts are generous and they give a lot of things away. And so uh, I, I thought about that for a lot and I realized that the people who had been most valuable to me you know, you and I talked about David Maester. Um, mm -hmm. David Baker's another, another one yes. who he gives away a ton of stuff, right? Yeah. And, and by giving that stuff away, he's demonstrating his expertise. We, we know that he knows what he's talking about because he actually puts it out there and lets yeah. us experience it. And so for many years, I've done quite a lot of writing and speaking. Uh, I have an email list that I mail to three times a week. Um, podcast guesting. I had my own podcast for uh, five years, five or six years. Um, and, and so I, I put my ideas out there into the marketplace as frequently as I can. And, um, as I've learned to do that, I've gotten more, uh, I guess emphatic, uh, <laughs> more, more passionate about the ideas that I'm putting out there, which attracts mm -hmm. more of the right clients. Yeah. Yeah. I, I noticed that change in me too. Um, I would say if you caught me, a year and a half ago, before I started the process of writing the book, I, I, had, I had all this stuff kind of trapped in my head, but it wasn't cohesive. I didn't have my terminology together, and I didn't feel like I had the, like the really unique intellectual capital. And, and the, the process of writing the book forced me to get all that stuff straight. It forced me to get my terminology together, forced me to come up with my own intellectual capital. So yeah, the difference between when I talk now, I, I mean, I've had my own clients tell me this, the difference between me now on a podcast interview versus two years ago is night and day. Um, and hopefully it doesn't mean, you know, you don't have to write a book to go through that process, but you can also go through that by just getting out there, getting featured, doing what you've been doing, like speaking, writing consistently, like it's that same process of just getting your content together. Um, do you try to hit on those, like the, the, the sticking points and beliefs that we're talking about, like the, you know, that, that they can't, that they have to grow, for example, right, that right. they can't be stuck in illustrator and Photoshop all day doing the operation stuff in order to grow like those, do you try to hit those things in your content that you give away or are those things that you only work on behind the scenes after they've already decided to move forward? No, in fact, the way that I build my, um, content calendar is by looking at the conversations that I had with my clients this week and I think, okay, how can I turn that into something that I'm putting out into the rest of the world? Yep. I want to make, because there's two things that make good content. It's timely and relevant, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, I know it's about me. That's the relevant part. 
timely is what's going on right now, obviously. And, and in 2020, every week, it's a different thing, right? And so if I'm talking about that thing, people know that I'm in touch with the market and, and it, that, that makes the relevant part of it land all that much more. So um, um, you didn't just download like a set of 365 daily prompts and plan your content <laughs> out in a year? You know, I have a friend uh, in a slightly different kind of business, but a coaching business. And he has a 50 week email thing that he just mm -hmm. runs over and over again. And I think he's the luckiest man in the world. Like what a great thing. Everything in that is evergreen. I, that's not the way my business runs. It, it, yeah. I, I can't imagine doing that. <laughs> uh, I've got a blend of both. Uh, I've got um, building out an email nurture system. Uh, you know, just I think we're at 60 days of content right now. It'll increase from there. But yeah, I, I do struggle with that because you, you put things in there that are evergreen. But I looked at this year and thought if I had had a year's worth of content in place, I would have had to shut it down. Yeah. Like you could not run that in 2020. Yeah. Now, in other years, maybe so. And there's people that have been doing that system for, for a long time, for many years, you know, just running a year-long email nurture sequence, essentially, or, or an autoresponder. And yeah, I think that not only are they, you know, lucky, but they're also brilliant. Oh, and for that's sure. Great. Yeah. But yeah, you couldn't get away with that in 2020. Um, now, hopefully we get back to a sense of normalcy to where yes. that, that comes back. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I'm sorry. going, I'm right now I'm in the process of going from writing this week's content every, every Monday, writing the content that I'm going to publish this week uh -huh. to trying to get two or three weeks ahead, which yes. is where I was, you know, in, in 2019. Yeah. So I'm, I'm starting to feel like I can stretch that out a little bit. Yeah, I think things have shifted a little bit to people where people know this is going to be kind of the way it is for the rest of the year to where, I mean, I'm, yeah, there'll be things that come up, but, um, but just the level of freak outness, mm -hmm. uh, especially in the business world, seems to have tapered off. Like I've noticed that just in yep. the past few weeks. But anyway, um, okay. So let's talk about um, the, the, the real thing I wanted to talk about, which is the idea that agency owners have, which you deal with, and I deal with this in the, in the, the thought leadership world, which yep. is, mm -hmm. can't somebody just do the sales and marketing for me and I'll do the rest? Because I'm really good at all the client fulfillment, you know, coaching, whatever it is. They're, I'm good at X. Can I just get someone to sales and market for me? Why is that like a no-go belief that you have to deal with right off the bat? So, um, when you are doing your own prospecting, you know that the hardest thing to do is to get on the phone with that business, with that decision maker, right? Like to get the, the time and attention of the decision maker is what the whole sales process is about. So if you have someone else doing the sales for you and they get on the phone with that decision maker and the, and the decision maker starts asking really important questions, the questions that they need to evaluate in order to know how to, how to work with you. Mm -hmm. If that person has to say, hold on one minute, let me go get the guy, right? Mm -hmm. That you've lost all the credibility. Yeah. And, and what you're selling in an expertise driven business is your expertise. Mm -hmm. Now, yes, over time, you're going to trickle that expertise down so other people can represent that. But right now, if you've got four or five people, you are probably the main generator of that expertise. You're the driver of that expertise. You need to show up in that moment. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't some things that we can peel away. It doesn't mean that there's no way to get help. But the, the moment of sitting down with that decision maker has to be you. And that, that means that probably the moment before that has to be you too, because we never know when that person's actually going to show up for that conversation, right? Right, yeah. So, so there's someone who can do prospecting, who can put lists together for you, 
there, there are ways that we could do some email outreach. There's, there's someone who could do proposals and the, some of the backend stuff, some of the follow-up yep. for you. But that middle, the fat part of the business development pipe has got to be the business owner. Yeah. Um, what's, what's your biggest roadblock in getting your clients to believe that, to agree with you on that? What, what do you think? Is that you ever noticed anything? Is it storytelling? Is it you know, sharing personal experience? Like, what is it that's the, like the linchpin that gets them to go, okay, you're right. I want to grow, but I can't grow without doing the sales myself. I, I believe now. So I, the people that come to me and say, Brad, find me someone to do the sales for me. They're imagining in their head that to get to 2 million means I need to do everything that I'm doing now, just twice as much of it. And they, they see that they're already at the limit of what they can do. And so they're, they're looking for a solution to that. Mm-hmm. And they've, they've diagnosed that as I need someone else to do sales. Mm-hmm. And so if I can back them up a little bit and say, yeah, you're right. There's no way you can do twice as much as what you're doing now. You probably can't do 10% more of what you're doing now. But there's a different way to do what you do so that you can get to two, three, five million dollars in sales with actually less work than you're doing today. But that doesn't mean getting you out of the sales process. Like the sales process is still the thing that you need to do. So Mm -hmm. that conversation is really more about their capacity and what what they have the bandwidth to to take on. And if I if I can free them from with some from some of the project management and product delivery stuff, a lot of them really enjoy the sales. Like if that was all they had to do, Mm -hmm. you know, for 80% of them, that'd be all right. Yeah, I've noticed that in myself. Um, the, the more that I got the backend streamlined stuff, the more, I guess, mental and emotional freedom I felt in taking yeah. on new clients because I knew that I wasn't personally accountable for all the delivery. That's right. And then, yeah, then I started to enjoy the sales even more. So that, to me, that resonates. Um, and I think I've that had, like any thought leader would say the same thing on the coaching consulting side. I've had that exact conversation with people where people are, are telling me, Brad, I'm, I'm in that sales conversation and I'm about, I know I could close the deal, but I'm thinking about the fact that if this guy signs this contract, that's two more weekends that I have to work. And then tonight, you know, you know and, 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 and they start backing out of sales, right? Because they're, they're afraid of taking on the delivery. Yep. And if that's and the case, that. yeah, you're not going to grow your business. You're not going to be successful if in the back of your mind, you're thinking, oh, I really don't want this business. Yeah, I agree. So, so as a, as a coach to that type of person, you're getting them to back, to back up one step because they've essentially, they've incorrectly diagnosed their condition. Correct. You have to get them to see it from a different frame of mind. Now, what do you do with the person? You remember the book rework, right? The guys that did 37 signals and they're a big fan of like staying like the managed people that are managers also stay in the work and they themselves is still code, for example, which Mm -hmm. is a really interesting thing. Um, how do you get someone to see the vision of that where you can go, look, you can, you can strategically insert yourself at specific places to make your service better or do whatever. Like you can still get the creative itch. You can still do the things that you enjoy doing. The reason that you got into this business to begin with, you just don't need to do it 40 hours a week. How do you get someone to see that vision? So again, if people are coming to me at this point where their, their hustle is used up, right? The, what mm-hmm. they could do just spinning the plates themselves is not working. If I start asking them about a project that was late and, uh, and why was it late? 99 times out of 100, that project was late because they didn't complete what was on their to-do list to do, right? Their team got everything done, 
Mm. But, but they're the bottleneck. They're the ones that are yeah. slowing things down, right? And so if you're the one that's slowing things down, why are we assigning you more stuff? Right? You can, <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good line of questioning. If we can, you can be involved in the process. Just don't be involved in the process in any way that's on the critical path. If, 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 if okay. this, getting this done is between you and your money, you want someone you can fire that's responsible for that, right? Because then they're going to get it done. <laughs> but no one's going to come and say, you know, Matt, you haven't delivered on the last four assignments. Uh, you know, we need to talk about your employment here. You're the <laughs> boss. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I was going to say, if we could hire that person uh, in, in our business to do that, well, which we can. They're called business coaches, but that's exactly, That's exactly right. Yes. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Man, we need to have a quick sit-down chat. Um, <laughs> I just oh want to God. talk about your ability to deliver consistently. How do yeah, you evaluate that's that? That's really interesting, though. Like, look, if you can't, if there's something standing in the way of you and your money, can you fire that person? And if, yeah. and if, it, and if you can't because that person standing in the way is you, then you have a problem. They need to get that stuff off your plate. That's a really, really good way to look at it. And, and you know, one of the first things that people become aware of this on is marketing, right? Okay. That when the, when, the, when the business gets busy, the business owner sucks at marketing, right? Yes. And then things yes. slow down and then they get all good at marketing, right? <laughs> and, and so what I say to them is, in order for you to have that get happen on a regular basis, you need someone else whose job it is to get that out. If it doesn't get out, they get fired. And so oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, uh, then they're going to make you do that. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and I'm, I'm a big fan of like within a market, even if you're a marketing agency and you market yes. yourself the exact same way you market your clients, I think there's a huge value in carving out a, like, even if you have to hire somebody part-time, that that's yep. their only job is you segment out your own company marketing from your client yep. marketing. Cause no matter what your stuff will always take a back seat every time we like with your just agency staff. But anyway, that's, that's a right. whole agency conversation. Um, <laughs> I could talk about that all day long too. Anyway, um, there's one thing, more thing I wanted to ask you about because there's a really interesting key belief that I, I don't know that my clients that aren't in the agency world deal with this quite as much. Although I can tell you people that, that deal with professional salespeople do, do run up against this thing, which is the, the, the dislike for numbers. Like they're, they're creative people, right? Now that could, be, yeah. that could be the people person who just wants to sell. Right. And they don't want to worry about the numbers or it could be the agency owner who just wants to be in Photoshop and illustrator all day, whatever, but they don't want to deal with numbers. How do you get, how do you change somebody's belief system about why they need to care about numbers and how to get numbers into their business without it being like a, like a mental straitjacket? So, uh, it's almost a trope that when I ask a business owner, you know, how do you, how can you tell that your business is, is going well? You know, what, 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 what do you look at mm. to tell you that your business is successful? Right. That what they say is, well, I know it in my gut, right? right. My gut tells me what, what's going on. Right? And, and, I, and I just know it. And that, that's true. I mean, but let's think about what your gut is. What your gut is, is an amalgamation of data. Mm. Because you're signing every check and you're signing every proposal and you're having every client meeting. You have all this data, very rich data that is getting amalgamated in your gut that tells you whether things are going well or going poorly. As your business grows, A, there's way too much data, right? That, that mm, instead yeah. of having five or six clients, if you've got 15 clients, you're not in every meeting, you're not signing every, every proposal, you might be, not be signing every check. And so the, your access to that data starts to disappear. And so your gut starts to get disconnected from reality. 
-hmm. And what we do to solve that problem is we start giving you data, but in a, in a, um, condensed format, we, you start to get reports and reports mean that you can just look and see whether, you know, the dials are in the green or the dials are in the red. Mm -hmm. That's the numbers that I'm talking about. I don't think that you have to be sitting there at night going through spreadsheet after spreadsheet. You just need to learn to trust the data that's coming out of your business the way that you trust your gut. Mm -hmm. And that's not like a switch that we flip. That's not something where one day you're all gut and the next day you're all data. I want you to look at the data alongside your gut for a while because sometimes your gut is going to show you that, hey, that dial should be in the red, but right? Like there's something wrong with the right. data there, yeah, right? Yeah. But over time, you'll learn to trust that the data and your gut start to line up and then you can start to rely on the data. And when you can rely on the data, then you can step back from things. Then you don't have to be in every meeting and you don't have to sign every document. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. It's, um, it's kind of like um, flying by instruments. Right. But, but I like the part where you like, you line up the metrics with their gut for a while because yeah, you're right. Like you don't know exactly if you've got the right metric because the, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of deceit, <laughs> self-deceit <laughs> and, uh, and deceit from your team unintentionally or not. But there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of wiggle room sometimes right. in the numbers if you don't get the metric exactly right. It just takes some, some time and experimentation. And, and that's something, is that something you help your clients like identify what the right metrics are and how those metrics are built? Yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the crucial things to getting not so much over a million, but definitely getting over 2 million is starting to establish key performance indicators mm -hmm. where each person in the organization knows the number that they're responsible for and what it needs to be. Mm -hmm. and, and as we start to build those, the only way that you can build those for each of the departments is that you've got that on an overall basis for the organization and then you start breaking it down by department. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we work together to say, okay, what are the numbers we need to measure at the, at the business level, and then looking into each of the departments, what are the numbers we need to measure there? And then how do we tell whether people are doing a good job or not? Yeah, love it. Okay, so we've covered a few of the key beliefs that people need to have in order to really understand your value, to, to know why they should hire you, why they should work, but also sets them up for a good client relationship. And, yep. and you're talking about those things and kind of exposing people to content that starts to change those beliefs before they come in as a client. That way it makes the, the, the process a lot smoother and you can move on to other things like, mm -hmm. you know, big, big mindset shift stuff. We talked about that. Right. Um, so just to break down the psychology, for the most part, you are changing beliefs by asking questions mm -hmm. and then kind of mentally walking them through almost like a visualization exercise, like what you did with the metrics, like talk, talking about dashboards, like they can right. picture themselves behind a dashboard and they're like, man, that would be really nice. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's like, holy cow, I'm, fly I'm literally flying blind. Like, <laughs> like it made sense when my revenue was half a million. I knew everything. I, I signed every check. I closed every deal. I knew exactly what the capacity was. Now that I've got five people, I don't know what they're doing all day. I don't right. know. I don't know when I'm going to have to work a weekend and when I don't. So, right. so that all that stuff registers, but you're essentially walking them through questions and then almost a visualization exercise by the way you're walking them through that, that gets them to come out the other side, agreeing, going, you're right. Like I had, this is something I have to care about. And, and the one thing to add there is really the special sauce of peer interactions. Mm. When, when you sit down with other business owners who are in that same transition, mm -hmm. you know, some of them are ahead in one area and behind in another, and then you, you might be ahead in the area that they're behind. And 
when you have that revelation about, oh my gosh, it would be great to have a dashboard. There's someone in the room who can say, well, let me show you my dashboard and, and what it's done for me. And by seeing someone else who's going through that same change, like it becomes so much more real. It's like when you and I are talking about it, you were saying like, how do you do that? But if you see someone else that's actually done it, you know, I did this and I did this and I did this. Yeah, it's not going to be exactly the same for you, but it gives you so much more confidence that you're going in the right direction. Yeah, and I think the same thing works from from the negative point of view too. Um, so like over the years of interviewing influencers and podcasters that have hundreds of thousands of views, downloads, subscribers, millions of downloads on their podcast and can't sell a product to their audience to save their life. Yes. It, was, it was the real world examples of that that led me to the idea that attention doesn't just automatically convert into sales because like that, that is a belief system that's so ingrained out there. It's hard for yeah. people to imagine, like you have to have those interactions with people and they go and you see what they're going through and you go, Oh, like that, this is a real human being, a real example of this belief not being true. And then you have to question your beliefs. Anyway, um, point being that was like, it was those, uh, I want to go back to the mastermind, um, kind of concept. Cause I want to talk about that a little bit on the podcast in general. I've got a couple of other people that are going to come on and talk about their experiences with it. And I think it probably also ties into another question I wanted to ask you just about how you plan to scale up yourself. Cause I'm assuming mm -hmm. that ties in, in nicely. So share with us what, like, how were you planning to grow and how does the peer feedback and the mastermind element play into all that? So, um, for many, I've, I've been in business 20 years and for 15 of those years, uh, I was just doing one-on-one -on -one consulting and I had a team that would work with me. You know, each of the associate team would have a couple of clients that they would work on and I would do the meetings and the team would do the work and it worked fine. Mm -hmm. um, but I realized there was a limit to how much I could move people one-on-one. -on -one. You know, mm -hmm. there, sometimes people had a belief that I could not talk them out of. Or over time, you know, if I have a client for a long period of time, they've heard all my stories, they've heard all my visualizations, right? And, and my, my levers are a little less powerful. Yeah. Um, but if I could get them into a group with their peers, a lot of that opened up. And so I, I had more leverage that way. And so I was really excited about that as a way to, to, to be, have more impact. Um, so I started putting together groups of five business owners uh, into these masterminds. And um, one of the great things about masterminds is it's not about the genius of the facilitator. I don't have to show up and tell everybody what to do. What, what we need to do is just to get them in the room and get them to talk about their challenges and they help each other. Mm -hmm. And so in that environment, it's much easier for me to plug another coach in to run that mastermind. I can still create a, a curriculum, a, a way of doing things over the top that kind of gets fed down into the mm -hmm. groups. But it's very easy for me at that point to hire coaches to run the mastermind. So over time here, I've, I've just hired my first coach that's not me to run a mastermind. He's coming on board. I have one of my associates is, is helping me run uh, one of the other masterminds. And so we're starting to build that out where the, the, the mastermind itself is really just about facilitation. And then the content is there for, uh, for each person to get, depending on where they're at in the process. Yeah, that's really interesting. The, um because I, I agree, everyone kind of gets deaf to the, to the voice of a leader after a little while. I mean, you can see this with churches too, you know, sure. like people cycle out, you know, it maxes out around 150, the average church does, and then right. people kind of cycle through 
um, every about every two years or so. Um, yeah, so it's a, which that's such a really interesting visceral demonstration of of tribalism, essentially, and, <laughs> you know, just how how uh, how people get kind of used to the voice of a same leader, and they need to go out and find another voice. Yeah. Um, so my question on that, I know this is early in the process for you, but the the automatic problem that I think would come up in that kind of environment is the curriculum part, right? Mm-hmm. So how much does that mastermind turn into sharing of ideas that you don't agree with? How do you deal with that? And how do you keep it or do you keep it, you know, within the curriculum? So what's, what kind of things do you have in place to kind of mitigate some of those effects? So in between, we, we do two masterminds a month, uh, every other, other week. And then in between those, we do a one-on-one coaching session. So the one-on-one coaching session is really a place where we can start to move people back to, uh, yeah, how is that exactly going to work? And uh, have you ever seen anybody be successful with that? And, <laughs> you know, and start, start to kind of shave people into a certain direction yeah. if they start to, to go off the wall. Um, I have, because I've been doing this for a long time, I have tools and templates and examples and processes that I've used to get people in the right direction. And so as I'm bringing coaches on, I'm training them in the use of those tools. And so they'll have that same toolbox to reach into and say, oh, well, you've never done job descriptions before. Here's how we do job descriptions, right? Here's here's our best practices for hiring. And and it allows us then to have a consistent... Basic, a curriculum, if you want, a, a, a consistent set of stuff that we're teaching to. Yeah, which, which that makes perfect sense. Uh, I, think if, um, I think if you leave people to their own devices, even with, with a really good facilitator, if there's not that one-on-one interaction with where you can really get into the questioning, and, and depending on what, what the level is of indoctrination of the people in the mastermind is, like, right. it, yeah, it can get out of control and it, it can just not be as valuable. Like it's not right. a, you're not, they're not following the proven path. They're just trading ideas. And yeah, as we know from the 80, 20 rule, 80 out of every hundred ideas suck. So the, <laughs> <laughs> so the odds of, you know what I'm saying? Like if people are terrible, that's one of the bad, the bad parts about masterminding is that people are terrible at evaluating yes. what's a good idea and what's not. And, and all, a lot of times what you get from a mastermind is just a bunch of ideas. Yeah. Then it just adds more stuff to your to-do list. So to me, that, that makes perfect sense. I've got a client who's in the, um, the coaching consulting space in real estate and that very similar structure. So we, like weekly uh, content delivery from the guy yeah. and then one-on-one sessions, 15 to 20 minute sessions, plus as needed, they can self-schedule these kind of 10 to 15 minute check-in calls yep. uh, to get that kind of one-on-one support. And yeah, all the support is pulling from the tools and templates that they've developed. So that, that all makes perfect sense. I think that that works really, really effectively. Well, that's the plan. <laughs> Hopefully it works out. <laughs> yeah. Now, how much are you working with the, the teams of the people that are in that mastermind? Are, they, are you guys all like all on Slack so you can kind of pat, you know, get into coaching a little bit, their key person or their key employees? As the, as the organizations get larger, uh, then we start to lean down into that first layer of management. So mm-hmm. usually people are more in the beyond two and a half million we start to lean down into that, that next layer of management. And we do a lot of um, communication and team building work with them. And then uh, we also, we're, we're, we are oftentimes showing up for the KPI reviews. So when people are, are mm. showing their numbers back to the management team, we'll show up as kind of an outsider. And nobody mm. wants to be the 
person that shows up and tells the boss's coach that they didn't do a good job, right? right. And so we just add a little weight to that. And, um, and it gives us a chance to give feedback to the, to the boss about, you know, this is, this is what I'm seeing. This person's hiding, you know? Yeah. Uh, you might want to, you might want to sit down with that person and have another conversation separately. Yeah. Um, so that's usually where we're getting involved there is, is either in the talent evaluation or in the, the communication team building part or in the, the KPIs. Yeah, that's, that's really, really smart. Cause yeah, those are, uh, I, I love it. Just that little, little pressing of the weight on the scale when you show <laughs> Show up to the KPI meetings. Well, yeah, that's freaking brilliant. In in my background, I worked for a, a company that was owned by a billionaire's family, and um, you know, we never saw the family except they would show up for the quarterly reviews, right? And uh, the patriarch of the family was in his eighties at the time, and I would I would swear on a stack of Bibles that he was sleeping through my whole presentation. But he'd pick up his head at the end and he'd always ask me like the two questions that I didn't want anybody to ask me. Right. And I don't know if someone fed him those ahead. Of, I don't know how it happened, but whatever. It made me have the best presentation I could possibly have because the only time I saw him was in this context, right? Yeah. And so that's interesting. I mean, having that kind of bully pulpit is really powerful for people. Yeah. And it's really powerful to be able to say, oh my gosh, you guys are doing a great job. Mm. I'm so, you know, that feels really powerful also. So it, it, it kind does. of works in both ways. Yeah, yeah, I 100% agree. Yeah, it's uh it's it's like that book train which train train like a dog, train the dog. I don't um, know it. Yeah, it's it's a really good book about positive reinforcement. It came out in the 80s. It was one of the ones that Tim Ferriss recommended and yeah, just in terms of behavior shaping, the power of that kind of sporadic occasional unexpected praise, especially from someone that's like this kind of the, like your boss's coach, like this right. kind of outside mentory, fathery kind of figure. It's got to be really, really powerful. So anyway, all right, we can talk about this stuff for a long time, but um, <laughs> what's the best place? Like where, where do you primarily hang out and, uh, and put out content, meet potential clients and just be active and engaged? Sure. Uh, our website is anchoradvisors.com. Um, and if you're in that growth trajectory, there, there's a tool on the site. It's right on the homepage. But if you go to anchoradvisors.com slash growth dash phase, there's an assessment there that helps you to see kind of where in the growth process you are. And it'll give you some really specific feedback about what are the things you need to focus on to get to the next phase. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also on LinkedIn a lot. I publish a lot of, of content on LinkedIn. And so if you just look for Brad Ferris on LinkedIn, um, you should find me. Love it. Awesome, man. This has been a blast. Uh, yeah, I really, I really, really appreciate, appreciate it. This is, this is a super fun conversation. Any, anytime you get into beliefs, but also like tying it into the agency world that we both run in. I love it. Um, and hopefully people take advantage of it, connect up with you on LinkedIn and keep you in mind because if, uh, if they're in the audience and you're um, any kind of agency owner, um, get into Brad's world. That's all I have <laughs> Indeed. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Micro Famous Podcast. If you're ready to become famously influential to the right people, connect with us at getmicrofamous.com. It's the best way to take the next step to implementing the Micro Famous strategy in your business so you can attract an audience, build influence, and become the Micro Famous leader you're meant to be. And we'll see you on the next episode.